Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog, a video games review podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, co-host of the Super Bracket Bros podcast, and proud head crab farmer, Jay Davis. Hey dude. Hey Dave, how's it going, man? I'm I'm excited to be on today's episode, and I do appreciate Head Crab Farmer is one of the more impressive titles I've held in my life, so yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I, that's <laughs> nothing to be scoffed at, for sure. It's a, it's a tough line of work right there. Yeah, you know, I knew some guys, you know, it's kind of 50-50. You could come back some days, you know, it's tougher than coal mining, you know, some some might say. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, we, we get it done out in the fields, and, uh, you know, it's for the good of humanity, you know, it, we, for some reason, we're legally obligated to only bring crowbars to our place of work. Yeah, it's it's odd. That must be one of those old laws that survives from like the 1800s for some reason. No one ever thought to replace it. Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, because I mean, I see these new guys out here. They're running around with gravity guns and saw blades. And like, I, I think we just sort of got grandfathered in having to use the crowbars. And, you know, I'm working with the union on it. But, um, you know, I'll keep you I'll keep you posted as we, you know, maybe we can do a follow up episode about the, right. you know, <laughs> the, the state of uh, head crab farming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Once a year, we we get together for the state of head crab farming 2022, 2023 <laughs> and so on. So as Jay alluded to there today, we're going to be talking about Half-Life 2, uh, which is a first person shooter developed and published by Valve in 2004. And uh, a quick elevator pitch for Half-Life 2, if, if you're not familiar, um, I would say that this is the, like, the OG, one of the OG, like, modern first-person shooters. If you've played a first-person shooter since 2004, there's a good chance that Half-Life 2 was extremely influential in it. So there's my elevator pitch if you're not, uh, if you're not super familiar with it. Also, a big focus on physics-based puzzles and stuff like that, which, again... We'll get into that uh, as we go. But before we get into Half-Life 2, I want to talk about Super Bracket Bros because it was one of the podcasts when I found, like, you know, connecting with people on Instagram and seeing what type of podcast people are doing. Super Bracket Bros was one of those where I was like, God damn it, Dave, why did you not think of this for a podcast (laughs) idea? So Jay, why don't you go ahead and explain what Super Bracket Bros is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So Super Bracket Bros, it, me and my co-host Eli, you know, we try to do the same thing you do. We try to bring guests on every single week. But what we do is each season is a tournament and it's a tournament between fictional characters. Um, and each episode is a fight in that tournament. So we have seasons. They're about 32 episodes long because we have 32 fighters and we just go episode by episode, match by match, talk about these characters, talk about why they're great, talk about, you know, epic moments they had, you know, what what is cool about them, how we discovered them, how our guests discovered them, why they love them, all of that great stuff. And then we talk about who would win in a fight, which is just the fun part. It's just the, it is, yeah. you know, the, like, we can create the, you know, go into the theater of the mind and really explore you know the the so sometimes it's the dumbest things possible and sometimes it's the coolest things possible you know dave for example was on archer from archer you know super spy extraordinaire going up against an actual super spy in black widow from the mcu right. and that was a that was a great time um but so yeah i mean that's 
that's super bracket bros in a nutshell but uh yeah no it's it, it's we're very focused on having a good time and exploring cool characters you know we're not we're not gonna be one of those you know we're not going to be one of those podcasts that talks about the numbers or like bullet velocity or, you know, uh. we, we don't really go into that stuff. So if you're looking for like a technical argument show, that's not really what you're looking for. But it's it's funny. And we try to be as, you know, you know, we try to be wholesome. We try to enjoy ourselves. But uh, yeah, that's that's super bracket bros. And I'm, I'm very it's always enjoyable to hear when people are jealous of our show concepts. So thank you, Dave. <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, it's like it's the thing me and me and my friends like, you know, I have my other show, a top three podcast, and we've been doing Mm -hmm. lists with each other for decades at this point. But the other thing we've been doing this whole time was who would win in a fight. And when I saw Super Bracket Bros, I was like, fuck, yes, of course, it's like should be a podcast. (laughs) Of course, it's great. And just one other thing I want people to know about Super Bracket Bros that I really like is that. So you're bound to get lots of characters on the show that people are not super familiar with. Like when Mm -hmm. we talked about Archer versus Black Widow, those are two that, you know, a lot of people have a base familiarity with both of those characters. But throughout your seasons, you have a lot of characters that I have no idea who they are. But what I really like is (laughs) part of each episode is dedicated to like digging into that character's backstory, what their powers are, if they have powers, what are their abilities Uh, what makes them a formidable opponent in this fight. And so like, I really like that kind of like base explanation at the beginning of each episode. And then getting into the fight itself is also really entertaining too. So very good show. I really recommend everyone check out Super Bracket Bros. Yeah, no, I mean, just like you, me and Eli, we've been having these discussions forever. And, you know, we decided to throw it in front of a microphone the origin of every podcast ever we thought we were (laughs) hilarious um and you know we decided to put a microphone in front of it but uh yeah and i think one of the best parts about it has been getting to connect with uh with with people like you you know with guests and people that love these characters and you know can bring an extra dynamic to it so but uh yeah no we would uh anybody listening we would love for you to come out and check out super bracket bros and and yeah, and I mean, have your voice heard as well. You know, we definitely take it into consideration, you know, uh, at, with every fight. You know, we put out listener polls and stuff like that. So yeah, no, we would, uh, we'd love to have you. It's, uh, it's really good. Uh, right now, you guys are doing a season that is focused on kind of like firearms experts. Is that right? Correct. Like Black yeah. Widow and Archer and people who know their way around a gun of some kind. Exactly. Some way, shape, or form, you know, obviously, Dave was on the first episode of our season when we talked about Archer, Black Widow. We recently released an episode where we talked about John Wick. John Wick is basically the synopsis <laughs> of the kind of character that we're looking for. You know, gun foo, I would say, is the sort of thing that we're looking for. And so we also have characters like a lot of, um, you know, first, a lot of first person shooter, you know, characters, you know, so like Gordon Freeman was a character we considered. We ended up going with Alex Vance, actually, as a character in this tournament. Um, And thankfully, I had the opportunity to play Half-Life Alex. And so was able to bring that dynamic into the tournament and really, you know, because like you said, so many people know about Half-Life and a lot of people have played Half-Life, but. VR is still fairly inaccessible. It's a pretty high mm-hmm. price point. And so thankfully I I don't have <laughs> I don't have a Steam 
headset, but, or, you know, but I do know someone who does able to borrow it for the weekend and actually play it and then bring that into the podcast and be like, this is really cool. I kind of think this is the future of gaming. It's so cool, <laughs> you know, and uh, able to, you know, bring that to the forefront or, you know, back in season one, talk about a character from a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, the Adventure Zone, you know, like we, you know, uh, both sides of the spectrum, you know, we want to bring it from every possible corner of the multiverse. Right. So yeah, every episode is not just like, literally, you know, Batman versus Superman, or something like that. It's, you really get a wide range of characters on the show. And it makes it a really enjoyable uh, thing to think about yourself, you know, when you really do get into a little bit of like the details of who has these abilities, how do they match up with the other person's abilities. But um, yeah, and, and really fun to listen to, of course. So once again, everyone, please check out Super Bracket Bros. You'll find information down in the show notes for uh, where to find it. But, you know, good podcast. You can find it anywhere you look. Speaking of Alex Vance, uh, let's get into Half-Life 2. So we begin each episode with giving our kind of histories with Half-Life. We can do histories with the series in general, and then specifically, of course, Half-Life 2, which will be the focus of this episode. So Jay, the guest, always goes first. Um, When did you first play Half-Life 2? Uh, Did you play Half-Life 1? And kind of what made you interested in this series? So I have occasionally played half-life one but i was born in 1995 uh so half-life one wasn't really a game that i had access to i barely had access to half-life two thankfully my dad was a fan of the series (laughs) and so Mm. when it came out in 2004 i would have been nine ten years old and i think that's when i played half-life two I was definitely a little young to be playing Half-Life 2, you know, especially certain sections of the game that we will inevitably get into. I'm looking at you, Raven Holm. But mm-hmm. uh, it was still like I, I it's been ingrained in me since I was young. You know, it was a very formative shooter. And, you know, like the story is it it, it comes and goes. But, you know, it, and you get a little bit of lore here and there. But because it was like one of the first like worlds I got into thus it became pretty influential and I'm I'm already like prone to science fiction I'm prone to alien invasion stories another one of my favorite games of all time is XCOM and so like it kind of filtered mm-hmm. right into that themology you know you, you could say but um yeah no I I've dabbled in half-life one but that's man that's an old game now (laughs) i am interested i'm i am interested in playing the half-life one remake that uh has come out recently i'm definitely gonna be looking into that but um yeah no half-life two i you know i've always come back to it it's a game that i could talk about with my friends and yeah no i played it too early played it growing up, have continued to play it occasionally just because it's 
has nostalgia. That's one of the most things I'm most curious about diving in today's episode is comparing my nostalgia for it to your fresh eyes on it. Um, right. But I imagine we we will get into that. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of my my history with the with the series. Yeah, and uh, as we've talked about, uh, as we were preparing for this episode, um, I had actually never heard of Half Life until the Orange Box uh, started to get. Uh, some some buzz uh, when people were talking because I mean if you if you think about that that's still just an insane deal to get uh, all of those like now critically revered and like amazing games all together in one package is still pretty wild to think about so when that came out um, I had heard of Half Life from that but I I didn't buy the orange box for some reason anyway. What we're alluding to is that this is my first time playing Half-Life 2 in the year of our Lord 2022. Whew. I was never a PC gamer uh, until I still don't consider myself a PC gamer, but I never really started playing games on PC until a couple years ago because uh, I just didn't have a laptop that could run most things and I've never had a kind of, you know, quote unquote gaming PC. Uh, so I always just kind of like, you know, saw how everyone just reveres Half-Life 2 and I always just had it in the back of my head where I was like, you know, you know, someday if I'm in a position where I can, I would like to check it out. Uh, it's It became one of the, like, stops in gaming history that I kind of wanted to take, similar to when I played Earthbound uh, to check out what that was mm-hmm. like. And uh, this was interesting because, like, we'll get into some quick opening thoughts here, like, it's interesting because this feels like a very simple game, but it's I think it's because so many games have been iterating on this since then. And so like I I kind of came up with this analogy where it's like if you showed someone the song Paranoid by Black Sabbath in 2022 and they listened to a bunch of metal music but never listened to Black Sabbath, they would be like this is kind of simple, you know, not much happening here but it's because this came out and so many people like took that and then spun it their own way. And I, that's what Half-Life 2 feels like to me, but I did enjoy playing this game a lot. Like I I had a good time with it. I think it still holds up gameplay wise. And Mm -hmm. it was just interesting to see like kind of this distilled first person shooter with, you know, the gravity gun, which is super fun too. What are your kind of just opening thoughts about Half-Life 2, Jay? Well, I did, I I played most of it um, in preparation for this episode as well, just because I was kind of curious to see, uh, thinking about it more critically, kind of what I would think about it. And I mean, I I I still had fun. Like I it, yeah. I enjoy this game, and it's more than just like the iconic sounds, because like that's that's what I noted when I played Half Life Alex. Like that's what zapped me right back into the world when I put on the VR headset was the sounds oh, yeah. of the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that I was kind of worried. I was like, is that all this is going to be is just like nostalgia. And I think that some things don't really hold up, you know, are more boring than others because of the iterations that have been made. But the combat's still fun. The guns are still cool. Like all of those things. And and the lore is good. You know, I, I enjoyed all of it playing it again and yeah i i imagine as long as i'm able to which steam continue and valve continues to make this game accessible like you can buy it on steam 
on any given day for like a, a buck and a half. <laughs> you know, like right. everybody <laughs> should everybody should play this game at some point. Like there's no there's no excuse. And you'll see, you know, how influential it's been. And that's kind of been what Valve's philosophy is. You know, if they're going to make a game, they're going to make specifically a Half-Life game. It's got to be it's got to be a bit revolutionary. You know, it's got to break some molds and set some standards. And um, yeah, like looking back, that's that's what they did in 2004, looking at like the 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 landscape of things at that time. And so I don't have a lot of kind of context for what it was like in 2004. I think about what I was playing in 2004. I was probably playing Morrowind all the time, like switching between Morrowind (laughs) and, you know, Mm -hmm. Madden 2005 or, you know, whatever Madden game was out. That was basically all I played back then was those two games on my Xbox. So I... I don't have a lot of like historical context for what what it was like when Half-Life 2 came out but in, you know, talking with some people and then we we'll get into this in the episode. Um it's uh, it's very cool to see like this little slice of history and then see like extremely clear like through lines to future games in the genre. Uh and even some um future games that uh that Valve did, which we'll talk about a little bit. So let's uh, give the uh, spoiler policy for today's episode. This one's going to be an odd one because this is the first like direct story sequel that I've covered on Hmm. uh, this show. And so in order to talk about the story setup of Half-Life 2, I am going to spoil what happens at the end of Half-Life 1, uh, which, you know, if you start up Half-Life 2, you're going to see this anyway. Uh, So... I guess if you don't want to be spoiled on Half-Life 1, just skip ahead 15 minutes or so. And uh, But it, I think it's going to happen regardless. Half-Life 1 is super old, and uh, that's not the game in, in uh, question here. Half-Life 2, we will keep story spoilers uh, to the end, and uh, in the spoiler section at the end of the show, like normal, I will have uh, a lot of like really memorable moments that I think are very cool to experience for the first time unspoiled. So Mm -hmm. that will be the spoiler policy, uh, kind of the first time that I'm playing a story sequel for the show and thus spoiling the game that came before. So let's get into the uh, story and the mechanics, what makes Half-Life 2 special. So the story set up in Half-Life 2, like we said, directly following the events of Half-Life 1, well, sometime in the future, but uh, 20 years after the end of Half-Life 1, as far as I uh, know. In the first game, there was an incident at the Black Mesa Research Facility uh, where Gordon Freeman worked, where, oopsie, scientists accidentally (laughs) opened a portal to a a hostile alien dimension. Whoops. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) you play as gordon freeman uh, who we mentioned before who uh, gordon freeman was the main character in half-life one i assume because everyone in half-life two is 
they react to Gordon Freeman walking in the room the same way I would react if Michael Jordan walked in the room. Everyone's like, <laughs> holy shit, it's Gordon Freeman. I can't believe my eyes. And uh, so Gordon Freeman is this well-known, like extremely well-known character uh, within this universe. And you play as him again. And at the beginning, uh, Gordon is woken up out of some kind of interdimensional stasis and put on a train to go into City 17, uh, name of the city, where uh, there is like this extreme police state happening uh, that is controlled by the aliens uh, from Half-Life 1, um, which I didn't know because I didn't know anything about Half-Life 1 because, you know, the you don't see a bunch of aliens right away. It's just soldiers in super armor and stuff, but mm-hmm. they're not actually people in there. It's... I don't, I don't know if they're just like wearing the armor or if it's actually like dead bodies being reanimated. Do you know what's going on here, Jay? I don't know 100% and I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated. I think the initial troops that you encounter in City 17, the ones with the white masks, I think those are people. I think mm-hmm. based on the opening and uh, which this happens in the first 10 minutes of the game, but one of your cohorts reveals himself to be undercover. Um, right. And he takes the mask off and it's not like a huge plot point or anything. But and so that makes me assume the rest of them are also normal people um, that are being paid. You know, they are they are the lowest level of the Nazi regime. You know, they are the the people that are being that are being treated better than garbage you know like slightly better you know just to like keep the rest of the population contained yeah and so one of the things that's like really really clear at the beginning of this game is that the aliens won they're in control and they have a puppet government of characters a one specific character from the first game who is like the kind of voice of the aliens trying to like control the people the human population and so Mm -hmm. as you go into the beginning of the game you see all these tv screens where you know you have these propaganda messages that this guy's giving i forget his name um i probably should have written his name down Uh, that's uh (laughs) wallace wallace breen i believe okay you get these propaganda messages trying to like convince people to fall in line follow what uh follow what the aliens want them to do uh very like this is the only hope for the survival of our species type stuff um but also reads as uh propaganda at the same time the main goal uh for the game is to find eli vance who is alex's father um eli was uh an important person in the black mesa uh facility he's the is he the leader or again should have written this down he is the current like leader of the resistance. Uh, the I resistance. Don't rem- I don't think so. The thing about Half Life One, and I only know this from discussions with friends who have played Half Life One. I don't think I've ever actually read a wiki or anything like like info dump about Half Life One. It's just through osmosis of having conversations and people explaining it to me. So I may I may have this wrong, but like the scientists that you meet and Eli Vance like they're not actually characters in Half-Life 1. Um Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's 
they are i believe they are introduced in, in half-life 2 you know there are scientists that look like and you know npcs that repeat over and over and over again that look like these characters but they aren't specifically those characters um i so i mm. do think they are introduced in half-life 2 um but i mean okay. i mean the fact that like I, at least I take it as like that was understood that they kind of succeeded in at least like looping you in on on who this was and me as a a, a ten year old kid probably vaguely understanding like that's a that guy's important and you know it was it's yeah. the same for Alex too you know I, she was obviously not around you know because she's fairly young and you know the games take twenty twenty years apart so yeah and there's like. There are like four or five important NPCs throughout the whole game. So there's not like a huge cast of characters to no, keep in track no, of. No, not at all. Yeah. And so your goal for most of the game is to find uh, Eli and help him out uh, for various reasons. Uh, that, that just becomes like the thing that you're working toward. And this is where I'm going to stop with story spoilers, uh, except they're at the same time of this like alien you know, government, puppet government that is uh, kind of ruling over the the planet, the Earth, I guess. There is also kind of this, like, subplot of, and I don't know if, how related they are because the game doesn't, like, super explain it, but, like, there are these kind of zombie things going on. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. that Jay is a professional headcrab farmer, and the world is full of these, uh, these now iconic enemies uh, called headcrabs, which are these four-legged kind of, I don't know, parasite-looking things. They jump on your head and they latch on and you, you slowly become a zombie of sorts. They they kind of, they're a little cuddly. I, you know, the, I, I could pet a head crab. Don't, yeah. don't lie, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> they make, uh, they make creepy noises and they jump on your head and kind of <laughs> take over your entire body. But they, they do have a little bit of a cute quality. Like I wouldn't mind a head crab like plushy or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you liked Lamar, right? You know, the one without the beak mm-hmm. that uh, th- that Briner had. I mean, that was, I mean, he kind of, you know, <laughs> he's kind of a pain, but he's also cute. Yeah, I was going to say that that one's always getting into a bunch of mischief. Like if you think if you think <laughs> cats are a handful to uh, keep under control, wait till you see this pet head crab that this guy has just always fucking shit up. <laughs> yeah, just, you know what? We'll take a field trip down to the farm. I'll show all all the kids what the head crabs are really like. You know, what it really means to take care of a head crab. You know, it's not just, you can't just, you can't just water and feed it. You know, you got to take it for walks. You know, it's, it's the whole thing. Okay. Right. So as you go through the game, there are these kind of two kind of subsets of enemies that you're fighting. You have the soldiers who are you know, fighting against you as the resistance team. And then you have these kind of various head crab and head crab zombie type enemies. And there's, I think there's like a couple versions of the soldiers and there's like four or five versions of head crabs, super head crabs, head crab zombies, super head crab zombie, stuff like that. Uh, so you, you kind of have these two things that are happening at the same time. And, uh, you have these kind of zones like this is a you know residential zone that is controlled by the military this is a residential zone that they have kind of like locked up because the head crab zombie problem is too much 
and stuff like that. So it does mix up the gameplay as you go through and you get a little bit of a story about how people are surviving in this world as you go through. And like the overall plot for Gordon to reconnect with Alex and then reconnect with Eli and stuff like that is kind of by the books for the most part. I think it's, it's, I already don't remember a lot of story beats from it, but it does a good job of getting you into the levels and stuff and getting you into these gameplay sections, which we'll talk about uh, later. So the story does its job, but I do think it has a really interesting ending, uh, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section. But I will just say for people who haven't played, I now understand why so many people have been begging for Half-Life 3, (laughs) because the ending of this game is interesting and ends on a cliffhanger so like people are not just like i mean half-life 3 memes have become half-life 3 memes but i do kind of get it now if you're a big fan of this game this game ended on a cliffhanger and that was 18 years ago so yeah (laughs) well have you uh have you touched the episode one or two at all uh i haven't i was uh kind of looking at those on steam but i decided not to play them yeah, so they do pick up where Half-Life 2 ends off, but uh oh, okay. then then episode 2 ha- ends on I, what I would argue is a bigger cliffhanger. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, right. so yeah, there we so go. You you're still correct. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they, they do they do continue the story for a little bit, but um no, it still ends with a with a gut punch for sure. So the story as I was going through was kind of like, you know, Here's what you need to do to get through this level. Here's your goal for this level. And then you go through every half hour or so you walk into a room and all the people go, holy fucking shit. Is that Gordon Freeman? (laughs) And then they're like, okay, you got to go. And then there's an attack and they're like, hurry, you got to go, Gordon. You go to the next place. Holy shit. Gordon Freeman and then it it continues and I laughed every time the NPCs reacted like that every time. Uh, So yeah, I I enjoyed kind of like the flavor and like the lore and just kind of looking at the state of things in the game uh, more than I enjoy the beat by beat story of it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with you there. Like, you know, when because Gordon famously does not talk, right? Like you have no active role, which is sort of part of the story, you know, once you get into, you know, spoiler territory, I will talk about specifics, mm-hmm. but talking about, you know, like just kind of panning around and looking at the world and seeing the condition of things, you know, I think is really interesting. And I, I you know, I'm a sci-fi guy plus dystopia. This is full nonstop dystopia. You know, mm-hmm. I think the idea of the resistance fighters it is really like not fun but it's cool like it's you know epic it's relatable it's the underdog story because of just how badly humanity's gotten beaten down you know there's one newspaper clipping which you would pretty much have to know it exists before you go into the game but that talks about the seven hour war so immediately following the events of half-life one you know gordon he does sit he saves the day, and I say in quotation marks, you know, he prevented complete annihilation, but mm-hmm. there was still this seven-hour war that proceeded where 
the 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 combine which is the name of the alien force come in wipe out every army on earth and then that's where wallace breen the guy you mentioned earlier quote unquote represents humanity and surrenders for them and then he gets put as sort of the figurehead of humanity um but uh yeah no i i think and all that stuff is interesting but you only really get it if you like dive into the nitty-gritty or like finding out that the combine or like hearing an offhanded conversation that two npcs are having in like a, an apartment before the action happens where they talk about like that there's this uh force field in the city that prevents um breeding that presents prevents conception you know so they're mm-hmm. controlling how people you know have kids and yeah just like the you know the the, the intensity of it all um really gets nailed into you from the beginning which i think is uh it's great world building to me yeah you definitely do get a sense as you go through the game that uh the resistance is like so outnumbered and like the odds are very much stacked against you and people are beaten down and you know everyone's life is terrible you definitely get that as you go through the game. So I, I think they did a good job of enforcing that as you go too. Because every, you know, you go to these like, these kind of base camps for the resistance throughout the game and every single one of them is in like the most precarious, like we could be wiped out at any second situation uh, that you, I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking of how it could be worse for humanity uh, in the beginning yeah. of this game, for sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, they, they they set the scene pretty well. And I think that's what makes the end of this game even more impactful is knowing the importance of the actions that you are taking as Gordon Freeman. Um, and, you know, I think st- storytelling has come a long way. Like the idea of a, a silent protagonist today is kind of off-putting. You know, like I think about any of the games that I've loved recently, you know, I'm thinking about like, god of war the last of us you know horizon zero dawn like i i can't imagine uh really a a successful game i mean you have doom which is a whole (laughs) other breed but it's the same world building that you get in half-life you like doom guy walks into a room and everybody's like holy shit (laughs) that that was doom guy (laughs) you know so like you know just making you feel like a badass you know it's not bad not bad storytelling, I guess, you know, as long as it makes you feel like a badass, you know. Um, you yeah, know, that's I, true. But, you know, I, I, not that Half-Life 2 is the same power fantasy that Doom is, but, you know, it's still kind of... It, you saying that definitely, like, brought back those vibes for me. Yeah, it, it's true. Like, you are... This is actually something that bothered me about uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, where your character is clearly this ultra badass, the only hope for the world, you're saving the day left and right, and people still just treat you like dog shit all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that is not the case in Half-Life 2. Everyone is like, you know, this, this this fight is hopeless, but holy fucking shit, Gordon Freeman just walked in the room. All right, we can do this. Gordon Freeman's (laughs) here. And that does Mm -hmm. make you feel good, for sure. Like, he's somehow wiggled his way into like one of the greatest characters of all time but like at least to me you know having having grown up played it and been him but today by today's standards he doesn't really 
stand up because he's non-existent. He is you. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that like they they gave him a name, they gave him a look, they put him on the poster, but you you don't even get as so much as a mirror in the game. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. And but uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. One of the other things that like this game is kind of famous for, and Valve is famous for this as a developer, is kind of um, the way they tutorialize and get you into their games. Portal is like masterclass in this t- in this too and uh, i think half-life 2 is like on par with that with like teaching you about game mechanics how this game works how the world works without a character walking up to you and saying like hey gordon watch for things hanging from the ceiling uh, you <laughs> might get caught uh instead like there are these enemies that cling to the ceiling they have this little tongue that goes down and if you touch it they will grab you and pull you up and eat you if you're not wearing a you know super suit but this is an example they don't don't have a character that comes up and tells you about this you walk out a door and you see one of them catch a bird and pull it up and start eating it and then you're like oh okay i will be on the lookout for things hanging from the ceiling and then you will spend the rest of the game kind of checking and about 80 percent of the time i was able to spot those enemies ahead of time sometimes i got caught and surprised but that's just an example. Like this game does a lot of showing and not telling. And um, I really respect that. There's also this, you know, the famous part where you see the saw blade that had the enemy cut in half uh, when you, after you get the gravity gun and then you go in the next room, there's some enemies coming and there's that saw blade, pull it back out, shoot it with the, gra- shoot it out with the gravity gun and you learn how to kill things with the gravity gun. That's, and not a word is spoken. It's all done through like the way things are placed and, uh, you know, encounter design and stuff like that. And I think that's something that is just very uh, refreshing. Number one, not to sit through a cutscene of someone explaining to you, you know, every use for the gravity gun. Just kind of show me and let me figure it out. I am smart enough to figure this out. And I think this game does that really, really well. Yeah, that's one of the things I've noticed. Like, I, I, did not have the wherewithal to like enjoy that perspective as a kid playing the game, but it's something sure. that I, <laughs> very few you know, kids like, would yeah. have that perspective. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as a 10 year old, I wasn't like, wow, you know, this is really intelligent level design. No, I didn't say right. that, but like <laughs> going back, I'm like, that's why I was able to play it as a kid because things were intuitive. You know, I was able to understand and, you know, somebody wasn't talking about it for two minutes about how it works. You know, they gave me the gravity gun and they said, hey, play fetch with this giant metal dog. And it's right. like, I understand mm-hmm. that, you know, like I, I you know, just tell me the buttons to press and, and let me go. And yeah, you know, they do a great job of that every step of the way, you know, sort of implicitly. And then I think the biggest thing is that it teaches you these things. And then you have a plethora of ways to like explore those mechanics and it sort of makes you feel smart for exploring those mechanics. And sometimes they come back later in the game. Sometimes they don't come back at all. But uh, it still feels rewarding to be able to use all of those things. You know, to use that that saw blade through the extent of Ravenholm. You know, and if you're an achievement hunter like I am, you know, there are achievements that push you towards things. It's like go through Ravenholm with only using the gravity gun. And man, 
that stuff, you know, and it, it things like that that really that that's where other games got it from, you know. And I mean, obviously there were games before that that had great level design that had, you know, had great ability to teach you without, you know, slamming you over the head with it or giving you a wall of text. But uh Half-Life 2 was um I think maybe one of the first ones to do it at least as far as like a shooter goes. You know, I you know, Call of Duty wasn't anywhere near this at this time. You know, it wasn't even as popular even for what it is. You know, you had like Unreal Tournament around, but they didn't have the same like puzzle mechanics or anything like that. And so it really, you know, really elevated Half-Life 2. Yeah, and it was it it was something that I like I had heard about. This is something that like games people praise Half-Life 2 for. So I had heard this and then I started playing it and I realized that it's it's all over this game of like uh showing you mostly not tell there's a couple things like a couple weird things uh later on where it's like a one-time mechanic where they do kind of just tell you like hey do this to do this uh but uh especially early in the game when you're like coming to terms with like what the game is and what you need to do they do a really good job of uh kind of yeah showing not telling and Another thing that I I just want to praise this game for before we get into uh, gameplay like super heavy is there are like, and this goes into level design where there are a lot of times in this game where you need to move quickly through a level and uh, Mm -hmm. like you're either being chased uh, or there are a ton of enemies around and you just need to run and find a safe place. And I think this game is incredible at making you feel like you're desperate and like picking literally the first place you see but that is the way the game wanted you to go the whole time and they they do a really good job of like guiding you along the path like in the first level there's a chase on these rooftops and Mm -hmm. you're running you're being pursued you're not super powerful at that point and it, it feels like this really intense escape sequence because you're running and you're like where do oh shit there's a window where should i go like okay i'll i guess i'll try that window and it's you know they very cleverly set up the way that uh you know the level geometry is and lighting and all of these things that we've come to uh, appreciate in games this was here in half-life 2 and so when you're like fuck window okay i'm gonna try it that window was the way the game wanted you to go the whole time but it feels like you're on this epic chase because you're I don't know, you're just kind of making decisions in that stream of consciousness instead of, you know, really picking like, hmm, I've come to a T intersection. Do I go left or right? It's really guiding you through this path very elegantly. Uh, And this happens several times throughout this game. Yeah, I think that it's something that's influenced a lot of modern games is that the idea that this this is a linear game. You know, this is like, Right. The the definition of, you know, some might say, you know, like it's very straightforward. You know, there's hardly like there's hardly like two paths to take ever. There's multiple ways that you could take down enemies, you know, different guns you can use. You know, there's lots of different things as far as that goes. But it's it's a linear story. And I think that's where, like, honestly, I'm thinking about The Last of Us. You know, like, that is a linear story, but is still a world. You know, they're still pushing you in one direction, but presenting you with different options combat-wise. 
that make it the whole experience feel fluid. And, you know, that's something I never really thought about with Half-Life 2, but like the urgency that it presents. I think all the levels are like burned in my brain, so I know exactly where to go. So I think that's something that I've <laughs> right. lost over time. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, I think that because like I'm thinking about that, that rooftop and like when I'm getting pelted by pistol shots, like I, I know that I'm going to survive those pistol shots if I go to A to B to C and go through the window. But uh, yeah, I, the urgency is something that I don't really, I don't feel anymore, but it's right. It's there. It's, it's slowly pushing you. And if you do stand around with your thumb up your ass, you're going to die. But, uh, right. you know, I think it, it does do a great job of pushing you in the direction that it wants. And, you know, and there are, you know, there's a, a thousand caches of supplies that you can stop along the way, you know, that are hidden and things like that, that you can stop and and go get. But it's all optional. You know, you can just keep on trucking if you want to. And, you know, I think uh, a, a, it can either provide a great story experience a great gameplay experience and you know if you're into the treasure hunting kind of thing it also has that too i never no i won't say never but i very rarely got to a point in this game where i was like i don't know what to do or where to go Mm. Mm -hmm. and it, it and all of those decisions felt really natural where it was like you know i see a radio tower here let me go check that out and turns out that was where i was supposed to go you know mm-hmm. there it doesn't feel like there's and this might be a little bit of like the the time that it came out but there's not a lot of wasted stuff on screen you right. know like there's a bunch of buildings you can go into and if you go explore in the buildings you'll find some of those like collectible lambda signs or you'll find some uh some health kits or some ammo and stuff like that you'll be rewarded for poking around. But when you're trying to decide where to go, I really felt like this game did a great job of like, yeah, just kind of subtly pushing you toward the place where they want you to go. And that's, again, that's something that Valve is like really, really revered for is this way of making you feel like you figured it out when they were guiding you the whole time. Uh, And that's, I've played both of the Portal games, and that's something I love about those, where a lot of times, like, I feel smart for figuring out the Portal puzzle, but Valve did a great job of teaching me about everything about those puzzles, and it's the same in Half-Life 2, for sure. Yeah, it's the the layered mechanics, right? You know, it's the discovering that, oh, hey, I can... These are all the things I can use the gravity gun on, and they showed me those exploding barrels earlier and you do one plus one and you start chucking exploding barrels at enemies, you know, mm-hmm. and it's yep. like small stuff like that, you know, uh, which like seems obvious by today's standards. But, you know, I they no like no one says, hey, let me borrow the gravity gun and like and show show you how to launch explosives or, you know, n- n- nothing like that happens. And yeah, no, it's just very intuitive. There's no. Like, you never have to, like, check a map. You know, there, there is no map, you know, like, the, there's no mm-hmm. waypoint system or anything like that, you know, and so, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and I think this is a good uh, place to transition into talking about gameplay a little bit.
So in Half-Life 2, we mentioned this before, but this is like, if you've played a first-person shooter in the last 15 years, you've played Half-Life 2 in some ways, uh, because this is a very simple version of that. As far as combat goes, um, you have every gun that has come to be standard in a first-person shooter uh, throughout basically my whole life. You know, you have a couple types of pistols, you have your shotgun, a couple types of, you know, assault rifles, a carbine, you know, some long-range weapons too, grenades, stuff like that. It's very, very, like, what has become standard. And I, again, I can't comment on what it was like in 2004 uh, because I didn't grow up playing Doom and, you know, I guess Halo is the only other one that I played in this time period. Yeah, Unreal Tournament wise. is another one that I Unreal Tournament's another one that I might throw in there. That's I the these are the two games I played a lot around this time period. Right. And but like Halo Halo has some different types of guns, you know, like a little bit more alien flavor in the guns, but Halo's basically the same as this, uh except you have a better melee capabilities in halo than you do in half-life but anyway uh this is pretty standard i played this game on easy mode fun fact jay this is the first first person shooter that i've ever played with keyboard and mouse wow so how did it uh how that feel i'm curious it it was uh difficult uh moving around with <laughs> WASD is real hard for me it's yeah a little bit easier in Portal because, and I played Portal, I guess it's not the first time I've used a first-person control scheme mm, on keyboard mm-hmm. and mouse, but uh, in Portal, you're not fighting. You're not going to die in Portal, and so I played this game on easy, and that felt like a good difficulty level to me. Enemies died in one headshot or, you know, a couple shots to the body, they go down. That feels right as far as a shooter goes. One reason I play a lot of shooters on easy mode like uh, Uncharted, I've played all those games. I play those on easy because I don't like bullet sponge enemies. And so this this felt like a nice difficulty challenge. I still died several times throughout the game. Easy mode is not literally like you're invincible. It's just felt real good to me. So this game's kind of like thing that makes it stand out though, as far as gameplay and combat is that gravity gun, uh, which we talked about earlier. And the gravity gun has two functions. You can kind of shoot an energy blast to hit something that's in front of you. Um, Only certain objects, like the game knows what you're pointing the gun at. So you can shoot this at people. You can shoot this to break boxes uh, and other destructible things. But you can't just like, you can't shoot NPCs with it. And uh, you can't just like shoot a wall with it even. Uh, The game knows what you're pointing the gun at. And it will let you do that. Same goes for the kind of gravity thing that pulls things toward you. You can use this on all kinds of objects throughout the game. Um, And when you pull something toward you with the gun, you grab it, then you can throw it. And that's when, uh, like Jay said earlier, you get into all of these cool combat kind of, again, you feel like you're like, I wonder, should I pick up that explosive barrel and then throw it with the gravity gun? But the game has been teaching you to do it the whole time. And so you can get yourself out of a lot of sticky situations just with this one uh, gun, and it's super fun. I had a great time just messing around with the gravity gun throughout the game. 
Yeah, Gravity Gun, I would say, is one of the things that holds up in this game that I think is one of the best parts and is still extremely fun to use. And it's extremely fun to find ways to where you could win with a gun, but to choose to use the Gravity Gun instead, you know, to, you know, to kind of jank your way through some combat situations where it would be a lot mm-hmm. easier to use an assault rifle where you could just start picking up pieces of a crate and seeing how many times it takes to chuck a piece of wood at an enemy to defeat him. Not that I've done that specific thing, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it, there's, there's a lot of like interesting things that you can do with the gravity gun, you know, like as far as like you can pull a sheet of metal to you for cover, you know, from, I, you know, did that a lot, you know, to, um, you know, with, with even like temporary boxes that are only going to last for a few hits, you know, it could be those crucial moments, you know, between, uh, between enemies, you know, where, or between cover where, you know, you need that to be able to get to one spot to another. And, uh, yeah, no, the gravity gun, absolutely iconic. I love it. And yeah, no, definitely one of the best guns in gaming period. You know, I, yeah, I think it's, was the perfect gun for this game given you know how much it uses the physics engine as well you know the physics engine is that that's probably beyond the guns beyond what the game is able to teach you and level design and all that stuff what the game does with its physics engine is probably what was technically the most revolutionary thing during the time period because, you know, no no shooter had physics puzzles, you know, where you had to consider the weight of a cinder block, you know, uh, right. where the same way you'd <laughs> right. have to do in Half-Life 2. And, like, I, I've kind of been curious to hear your thoughts on that specific gameplay mechanic. Because, like, by now, you know, it seems simple, maybe straightforward. But I was kind of curious what you felt about the puzzly side of things. Real quick about the gravity gun. Uh, one thing that I really appreciated is you spend a lot of time in uh, vehicles in this game. Mm. And <laughs> yeah, there are a couple different kinds of vehicles and you like, it's a little bit janky. You can get the vehicle stuck pretty easily. Uh, there's lots of, you know, downed cars and stuff like that, like blown out cars and stuff. And it's kind of easy to get the vehicle stuck, but you know how you get them unstuck is you can use the gravity gun. You got your your little buggy like wedged between two parked cars, just pop it out with the gravity gun, things are fine. And I, re- I really just had a great time with the gravity gun. I think this game would be good without it because the shooting is still pretty good. But like with the gravity gun, that's what elevates this into, you know, like really fun, you know, video game stuff, you know. I had a great time with the physics puzzles. Yeah, like you said, they're pretty simple. You know, puzzles like um, you have a crane with a big magnet. You need to use it to pick up your car and move it into a new place in the level where you can, you know, continue on uh, driving and stuff like that. But you're using the physics of a crane swinging, you know, like on a pendulum or this magnet swinging at the end of a crane and stuff like that. I yeah, I enjoyed it. it, it they're not hard and I don't want them to be hard. This isn't the type of game where I want really hard puzzles. You know, I don't want to spend an hour trying to figure out a puzzle in this game. This game took me like 13 hours to beat. It's not a super Mm -hmm. long game, 
Mm. And the puzzles are short enough. They're there to kind of break up the pace a little bit, uh, give you some quiet time. And uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I like knowing that this is one of the things that I encounter just playing a game over and over again, which I should probably just play a new game. But um, I, <laughs> nah. I, 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 re- I refuse. And, uh, you know, like I know the puzzles and I can go back and, you know, I can I remember them fairly well, you know, as as time continues. And so I was just kind of curious how you felt about it. But, yeah, no, I, I remember you mentioned the quiet time. You know, I think it's a great way to break up the action because the action can be so frantic, you know, sometimes and like. And so, yeah, no, I think. um yeah, I think you're right. Like it matches this game and, you know, they save the the brain bending puzzles for the end of the portal games. And I think that's right. uh, that's appropriate. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was actually hoping to get some of your perspective on at least like uh, what the physics puzzles were like back back when you first played this in comparison to some of the other games you played. Because again, like I said, I don't remember... I guess Halo is my only point of comparison, and I don't remember Halo having physics puzzles. Halo is kind of just like, you know, shooting, story, cutscene, more shooting, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like, if this was one of the first like first-person shooters uh, to incorporate like a, I don't want to say super realistic, but it's realistic enough, the physics engine, um, to kind of just add this dimension to it and then so you have the puzzles but also the physics engine plays into using the gravity gun uh, which is again just super fun yeah i think that's what you know takes the game from good to great because the gravity gun doesn't work without the physics engine right and they and it, it could be enough just to have the physics engine you know you go in you pick things up like a a normal character or you know maybe you grapple them to yourself or something like that you know a a traditional way but then the gravity gun takes it from good to great i think and to me you know that was one of the first first person shooters i ever played and you know like that it just made everything else in the era not as fantastic you know like i think about like Play, I, di- I didn't play games like Unreal Tournament 3 online because my parents let me play Unreal Tournament, but they wouldn't let me play online, you know, which I think mm. was probably a, a, a good choice. Um, <laughs> but um, I think like I played the campaign for that. I don't know how many times. And that's just, you know, like glorified capture the flag, which is which is fun for what it is. And Call of Duty, you know, you go from A to B to C. You got to kill a certain amount of guys. But and, you know, find all the the intel drops and things like that. And, you know, sometimes they're hidden behind trick walls. But other than that, you know, nothing like that exists. And honestly, it it continues to influence games that are outside the the shooter genre. You know, even in games a few years later, I'm thinking about like the Resistance series that had like a similar weapon wheel, you know, for for PlayStation. And, you know, that took the, the gun influence. But it didn't have the same like in-depth like puzzle and, and like like you said, it's not incredibly difficult, but it was there. And, you know, it was something other than just Sergeant, you know, what's his face giving you an info dump about some aliens, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, it's more interesting than that at least. Yeah. So 
this, like the gameplay, especially when you're using the gravity gun, it, it becomes like this kind of like, how do I want to say this? Like this just really like blissful experience of like playing around with the gravity gun, figuring out like what this game and what this engine is like allowing you to do. And all the while, a lot of times, like I said before, you feel like this is your idea. So you get, you get this positive reinforcement, like, you know, I wonder if I use this gravity gun to blow out these support beams under this platform. Will this thing that I want fall down to me? Yes, it will. And Ah, I really need some health. There's some health over there. I can't jump to it. It's too far to jump. Is it within gravity gun range to pull to me? Yes, it is. Like it it's just this this constant like figuring out what the boundaries are of this system and it goes a lot further than I would have expected. Like I know this game's not ancient, but it did go a lot further than I expected it to. Yeah, I think that's the thing that that gets me going back to it as well is that it like i i keep expecting it to be old and it isn't you know it's just it doesn't feel old it's basic uh you know i like in in comparison i will call it you know simple even but it's not old like it it holds up maybe not you know like that I I run Crisis Three on you know my my laptop because it's so beefy you know it's not you know the textures aren't going to be great but it's still fun like it's still a fun yeah. game and you know you can see the the origins of so many others if I mean if if you're a gamer then yeah like you would be do yourself a service and and play Half Life Two yeah it it does get into this wonderful feeling that you're in a playground of stuff to interact with and figure out and have fun with. And like one of my favorite first person shooters is Titanfall two, uh, because of like that really fun kind of like just state of like play that you find yourself in. Like, yeah, these are playgrounds to run and wall and like, you know, like wall run, jump around and do all these extra mechanics that they throw into, uh, in Titanfall two. And I got into that same, like playground state in half-life 2 which is again much much older they this was a long time ago now and yeah really enjoyed the uh the gameplay here yeah i think titanfall 2 is actually a really great comparison i i like that game a lot um Mm -hmm. and i think the sort of similar like really light story a little bit of lore sprinkled in here and yeah obviously you get more active characters i would say but as far as like gameplay wise like it just you know it it absorbs you for a different reason you know like a lot of games will grip you with the story but it truly like takes some special gameplay to grip you with like what is happening and what you're doing and titanfall 2 half-life 2 both of those games do that excellently um and i think you know like half-life 2 isn't as exciting you know you know you're not you know there's no wall jumping there's no running you know running across the walls or you know doing uh anything like that you know like you still it's still 2004 when you walk your camera goes in a straight line you know like there's no (laughs) yeah like you you kind of you can feel like you're floating 
sometimes, but it's still, you know, it doesn't, uh, I, I don't think it necessarily, I don't think it takes away from anything. The only thing, the, the only, the only thing I will say about this game is that jumping like is, is bad. <laughs> jumping, I, jumping is hard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're, so this is a good segue into the next uh, kind of like, you know, miscellaneous mechanic. Uh, Gordon is wearing this kind of like super suit uh, that allows him to breathe underwater, have a flashlight, run super fast, et cetera, et cetera. What it doesn't allow him to do is jump high or jump in a <laughs> way that feels good to control. And I, th- this is probably the thing that caused me the most frustration throughout the game was there was a lot of times where I was like, Man, you are wearing a you are legit wearing like a robot super suit right now. Why can you not make this six foot jump? This doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Or like, I guess if you're running super fast, you can jump over a pretty good distance. But like, why can you not jump more than two feet in the air? Like, even with this super suit, Gordon has like a twenty inch vertical jump. It's it's pretty ridiculous. It's bad. Yeah, no, it's pretty tough. I almost wish there had been some sort of, I I think it would have been maybe beyond their capabilities, but some sort of way where you could propel yourself with the gravity gun, maybe, you know, like jump and shoot oh, at the yeah. ground and push mm-hmm. yourself, you know, to get that, that, that double jump, so to speak, would have been cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think maybe that would have been a little tough to pull off for 2004. But yeah, no, jumping is rough. I would say when I play, I'm not looking forward to moments when I know I have to do any sort of light platforming or anything like yeah. that. You know, like it, it, the very first puzzle of the game, when I, re, when I replayed it this last time, all you have to do is take the cinder blocks and put it on one end of the seesaw, and then you can jump off the seesaw to reach a higher area, right? Right. I it's a jump with no consequences you fall like four feet but i could not make the jump the first 10 (laughs) times and i was i was streaming for a buddy of mine and we were just losing it and i was just like what like gordon freeman conqueror of worlds protector of earth (laughs) cannot make this jump and yeah no it yeah it it, it, right now it's funny but i was uh it's it can be frustrating (laughs) i remember distinctly that puzzle where it was like okay i put you know two cinder blocks on the seesaw this is uh this is now a jump that me dave jackson the real person (laughs) i could make this jump looking at it and then you jump and it's not high enough you put another cinder block on and you jump and it's still not high and you're like fuck i gotta put another cinder block on there like this is now a jump that like you could you don't even need to be running to make this jump. You just step across it. But yeah, no. it is it's the jumping is probably the thing that I found most frustrating. You're right. Specifically like how high vertically you can jump. And they want you to use the gravity gun to move boxes to jump on top of and make yourself little platforms and stuff like that. That's probably why cuz like thinking of uh like Deus Ex, you get you have similar, you know, super, well, you're, it's not a super suit. It's your actual legs in Deus Ex, but like you get super jumps in those games. And I think that would have fit really well here with the suit that Gordon's wearing, but I get, they want you to use the gravity gun and stack stuff and stuff like that. I get it, but still a little bit frustrating. And there are definitely some like some white knuckle moments 
doing some platforming on the side of a cliff or something like that. Like any time where I'm like, oh, platforming time or like uh, in Ravenholm, there's you're doing a bunch of stuff on these platforms and rooftops. And if you fall down, it's a long trek back up to where you fell down from. So not, yeah. not that's definitely probably the least fun part of the game, I think. Being a PC game, you can pretty much save whenever you want, you know, right. so that is one benefit, you know, that that you're able to do. Um, and so I, you know, take copious advantage of that when I play these days, you know, it's something I didn't realize. But yeah, almost like falling not to your death is almost more annoying, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm like, just start me back up there, please. Like, just like, yeah, bring, bring me back. Um, and especially like when you lose health and you're like barely alive and it's like, okay, I guess it's time to get out the grenade. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, speaking of with your suit, this kind of ties into how your, your health uh, system works. You have like shields on your suit, uh, that protect you like, uh, you know, like Halo, basically, if you've played Halo, you understand this. And then you have your actual health. Um, if your health goes down way far, sometimes your suit will heal you a little bit. It will... I think it actually says like injecting morphine and stuff like that. Like, you know, it will bring you back up to not full health, but it will get you out of the red. Sometimes I was never able to get a handle on like what would trigger this, but it does happen sometimes. Do you know, Jay? Yeah. So what triggers it is when a poison head crab attacks you. It probably happened a lot in Ravenholm. Um, Okay. Yeah. So that like you're, you're, suit is injecting like an anti-venom into you that's that's kind of mm-hmm. what's happening um yeah, because like the venom like the poison mechanic goes straight through the armor so i don't know if you ever noticed that but you might still have 50 pips in your in your armor health but a uh, poison head crab will get you you go straight down to one and then you start going back up um which one of the things that always like really small things that always kind of bothered me about the game but was nice mechanically is like you get hit with a poison head crab you were at 25 health it brought you down to one and then your suit will take you back up to like 75 health right (laughs) which i was like almost almost thankful to get hit at that point but um yeah so that that was that particular mechanic yeah and your suit has kind of an energy meter whenever you're using one of its special functions like, uh, like you said, the flashlight, uh, breathing underwater, sprinting, this is all kind of governed by how much energy your suit has. This is different from your shield. And so it, it limits how long you can swim and how long you can sprint, how long you can have your flashlight on. And it's all just tied into this one bar, which is nice. And uh, you, there are some sections in the game where you definitely need that flashlight out. There are some I wouldn't call them scary because this isn't a jump scare game, but there are some dark things. There's some dark levels where there are scary things waiting for you around the corner. Uh, There's a lot of surprises and stuff like that. I was worried because I had heard people say this game was scary and like people who listen to this show know I don't like uh, scary stuff. I don't like jump scares specifically, but this was fine. It, It got tense sometimes, but you're more powerful than any of the enemies you come across as long as you are, you know, playing on easy mode like me and kind of paying attention, not dicking around. You'll be okay. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I do think, like, 
Ravenholm has become less scary as I've grown up playing it over right. and over again. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, that was, uh, I had to go get dad for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was definitely young enough where I was like, I, I'm not doing this one alone. Um, and yeah, no, like Ravenholm is the closest it gets, it, it gets to that. But, um, yeah, no, I would not call this a scary game per se. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think that at all. It, oh yeah. The, that's right. The, the energy meter, um, that, that was one thing that I disliked about the game is that your flashlight and everything is tied into the one energy meter. And maybe it's it, it because they do separate them in the episodes. So in episode one and two, you do have a separate um, like flashlight and energy meter. <laughs> um, so like you can actually have the flashlight on when you're underwater and not, you know, be be doubly consuming. It is it is interesting that it's like this sci fi super suit, but. It it only has enough energy to keep a flashlight on for like a minute and a half, which is kind of interesting. Well, it's interesting because it's, and I'm gonna show my my, you know, nerd here a little bit. It's an HEV suit, which is I've always equated it more similar to like a hazmat suit. To be honest, like mm-hmm. I think. It provides some armor capabilities, but I, to be honest, like I always thought, man, Gordon Freeman is just holding his breath down there. <laughs> like that's why it comes out of the energy <laughs> meter. Um, but also, yeah, regardless, yeah, you know, it should be, uh, you know, he should have a little bit more flashlight to him, <laughs> more than a wind yeah. up does, anyways. Well, you you have about as much energy to like sprint at superhuman speeds as you do to keep a flashlight on, which don't feel like they would consume the same <laughs> amount of energy uh, if we're thinking that way. But anyway, uh, this is kind of the the two things you're managing is your your shields and your health, and mm-hmm. you find lots and lots of pickups around the world, and then also like before any you know, big staged, you know, combat encounter, you'll find lots of recharge stations and stuff like that to get yourself topped up. I was, again, I was playing on easy mode, but I, I rarely went, you know, a long time without finding these pickups. Maybe I was playing on easy mode, so I didn't need them as often, but they are really, really common. This isn't like a, you know, a game where you're going to be at low health, super tense for hours at a time, or even like more than five to 10 minutes at a time. It's pretty generous, I think. Yeah, it is. Um, and I would say, I don't know if the like health and ammo, if that generates more or less based off the easy, medium, hard, but mm-hmm. I, I know, I know the enemies get spongier and, you take more damage as well. I I know that, but I don't know if the ammo changes. And so, like you, you do need that on the higher difficulties. Like you need that constant refill because, like I I get the sense they never really wanted you to go into an encounter, you know, or a big encounter low on health. You know, like that. Right. That's not fun. You know, like it. It was the point of the game is not survival. It's not you know like you do have to do some ammo conservation at some point if you want to use certain guns at certain points 
But I mean, other than that, you know, you can pretty much get by and like even if you were plumb out of ammo, you still have the gravity gun and you can still do cool things with that. So, yeah. And that was a situation I found myself in, in a few times, uh, where again, I'm not great at first person shooters. So I did find myself out of ammo from time to time, but you always have that thing in your back pocket where you get the gravity gun out, start looking around. All right, there's a box over here. Let me pick this up, throw it at this enemy here and you can get yourself out of most situations like this. Uh, you can also, um, they introduce turrets in this game that are very similar to the turrets in Portal, if you've played Portal, and uh, you can use your gravity gun to, first of all, take them out of action, but then also you can place them for yourself, uh, which is really, really helpful later in the game. And they'll, they'll tell you, like, hey man, set up some turrets, there's people coming, and... Uh, you do get a little little bit of like, you know, strategy. I'm not a big fan of these, like, you know, there are waves of enemies coming, defend the room. I've never been a huge fan of those types of things, but you have enough things to like keep those fresh in this game. You know, your turrets, your gravity gun, all the different guns, your grenades and stuff. I, I never really found this game to be not fun. And again, it's it's not too long, so those things don't really drag the way they could. That's the thing that gets me too, is, and I think that's why I enjoy the game every time I go back to it, is because when I go to the section with the turrets, I'm looking forward to it, and then just when I've had enough, I'm moving on to the next thing. Right. I think, yep. I think, that, I think that happens a lot, you know, where they, they know exactly, they're very good at climaxes, you know, and I think combining the climax of where you're at story-wise and where you're at, you know, game mechanic-wise, I think those two things match up really well, you know, because, like, you know, the turrets, one of my favorite mechanics, you know, it, it's fairly simple, but the way that they do it, the environment that they do it in is is always a good time to go back to. Um, yeah, no, the, the turret section, the other one I think of is the the antlion section using the the pheromones is is another one of my favorites yeah that was uh that was fun too and i think that general feeling of like by the time you're tired of this it's over uh kind of extends to the game as a whole like the sections of the game as a whole almost never wear out their welcome one of the driving sections was a bit long but Driving in the game is fun enough that I wasn't like, man, this sucks. I want it to be over. It was just like, okay, I've, uh, I think I'm ready to move on. And then five minutes later, I was moving on. Mm -hmm. And that happens basically throughout the entire game. It's really, really well paced. Yeah, no, I, yeah, pacing is a good way to frame it because, yeah, no, the driving sections, you know, it's not need for speed, guys. You know, yeah, <laughs> it, it, that that is not you know, but it it's it's good enough to get you and and make the world feel expansive too. You know, I think it would almost feel way too small if you weren't you know moving yourself from from spot to spot occasionally using these vehicles. And I think it you know it never expects you to like you know like jump out stop combat go back in the car stop five you know five seconds later and and you know attack again you know it's it's very obvious when it wants you to stop because your progress will be stopped other than that it's a chase scene you know and i think it balances mm -hmm. those things the pretty well 
We didn't mention this before, but I think the uh, the sound design in this game is really good. Mm-hmm. Like the the music is excellent. Like the the music that plays as you go through the levels, the opening main menu music is like just incredible. And I mean, I didn't know this at the time because I played Portal first, but like that music that plays when the portal guy with like the valve on the back of his head comes up. Um, I didn't know that that was from this game and they just like kind of continued that. Sure. And yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. And then like the sound design on the enemies is super creepy. Like the, um, kind of like the radio garbles from the combine, uh, is good. I love how they make a kind of static sound when you kill them. So, you know, you killed them, even if you can't see them. It's really, really helpful. Uh, it's something that in my episode on Returnal, I really, really praised Returnal for giving you information via sound uh, because your eyes are busy. Um, and mm-hmm. this game does that really well too. And of course, the zombie head crab noises there, creepy as fuck too. <laughs> but yeah, the sound design and music in this game is awesome. Yeah, no, the the soundtrack is something that I've, pulled up on spotify many times before um just like i i i I enjoy listening to soundtracks just in general but um yeah no it's definitely one that sets a certain tone that i really enjoy and really fits the 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 sci-fi-ness to it even like the actiony the upbeat ones you know have a certain um techno to them that i really enjoy and yeah Mm -hmm. you're right like the like the sound design of the enemies is iconic to me and for for a good reason you know that radio garble you know like it's garble but it's still it provides a lot of information you know about like what's going on you know and you get the like go 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 like you know when they're like pressing and and things like that and yeah no i i i really i really do enjoy it and you know like the ai isn't quite on like i would say a standard of like uh you know like my the game that you might never play but fear has notoriously great (laughs) ai combatants um and uh you know it's it's in the same vein fear is is better it's honestly one of the best ever but um yeah no the 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 ai you know um is still still great in this game yeah, it is good. They'll they'll definitely like and I I don't think I've played enough FPS or shooters in general to really comment on like this game has good tactical AI, but they will, you know, they will flank you, they will split up, they'll try to get behind you and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so you kind of can just like camp out and shoot from the same spot, but like if it's a um like those turret sections, you know, they will come from all sides. Uh, they won't just all run through the same doorway, uh, which is um, a game that I just finished playing, uh, which will be on the show someday, uh, Deathloop, which is a very mm. fun game. But the AI will literally just run in a single file line through the same doorway. Uh, <laughs> and in Half-Life 2, they won't do that. They'll they'll go around, they'll try to flank you. And uh, it does really mix up the the combat. And yeah, it's good. But again, that, some of those sounds are very it's it's just uh creepy and giving you information and then that that soundtrack during the fights is uh is really good it is a soundtrack that i would listen to outside of the game 
Yeah, no, I I definitely I give a lot of credit to the the sound design team here. I think they 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 did a great job. And yeah, no, it's again, it's the same thing I said earlier, like it's something that I know well and like I can I can hear the sounds, you know, in my dreams. I've played the game so often, but it's mm-hmm. it's good to hear it from uh, a new player's perspective as well that that you enjoyed it. So that, that's that's pretty cool. get into some kind of closing thoughts here this is just a a well-made very fun video game like that's kind of my my thoughts as it as a video game playing it for the first time in 2022 without thinking about historical context much uh, as i went on this show that's kind of my goal is like let's let's talk about and appreciate the context at the time, but I am a person playing it in 2022. I need it to be fun in 2022, you know, but this game is, it It holds up. It's really fun. Um, the, again, like the story is enough to get you going. And then there are some very cool and very like mysterious things that happen. Um, but the story wasn't what was pushing me through the game. I was never like, I got to get to the next story beat and find out what's going to happen. It was always mm-hmm. like, I want to see what the next level will hold. I want to see what they've designed gameplay wise, because I was having fun the whole time uh, with the gameplay because they, man, they just did. They just do such a good job of finding ways to mix up what you did in the last level or, Hey, let's do something totally different. You know, you, we had like three levels of iteration on the gravity gun. Now we're going to give you something totally different. You're not going to use the gravity gun here. And then uh, after the next part, let's uh, let's build up something else. And it's it's just really, yeah, it's just really, there's never a point in the game where I was like, I'm getting tired of this. It's just really, really fun. And again, really well paced. And then by the time I was ready for the game to be over, I was in the last level. So yeah, just very good. A- again, that Black Sabbath analogy holds up for me. Like you listen to, you know, paranoid for the first time in 2022, you may think it to be pretty simple compared to today's metal music, but that's because people have been using Black Sabbath as an influence for 50 years at this point. And I, that's the same way I feel about Half-Life 2. And Paranoid yeah. still holds up as a good song. That's why it was the thing <laughs> that came up uh, as Half-Life still holds up as a fun game. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, the the analogy holds up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think... Uh... I echo a lot of the same thoughts that you have. I think it's very affirming to hear you say that, you know, because like I feel all the same things about this game, but I, I can never quite, I can't, I I can't, I can't see what's on the other side of my nostalgia tinted glasses. Right. Mm -hmm. And so to have that confirmed is enjoyable, but I, you know, you also as a gamer too, you know, can, you know, see these things and, and make those connections, even though you're on a mouse and keyboard, you know, despite, you know, the lack of, you know, controller in your hand is, is very cool to hear. But yeah, no, I mean, Half-Life 2, you know, if, 
you can tolerate, you know, I mean, what did you say? 12 and a half hours, 13 hours, you mm-hmm. know, I, it can be longer if you really want to like dive in and, and walk around in the beginning parts. But I mean, really that's about as long as you're gonna expect to play this game. Um, you know, and yeah, no, I would highly recommend it to pretty much anybody, you know, uh, anybody that's into gaming, um, that's never played it before. I think, uh, I think it's well worth your time and well, well worth the 50 cents that you might spend on steam for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, used to kind of talk about price a little bit in the show. I don't talk about it much anymore, but that can't be understated that like this is a very good very influential video game it will run on most computers if you have a modern computer it can probably run it i've mentioned several times in the past my laptop that i use uh for gaming is a real piece of shit i can barely play (laughs) there are games that came out in 2006 that i can't play on my computer but it will run half-life 2 and it will run it with very little like technical problems and like jay said it goes on i mean even without it going on sale it's full price it's probably like 10 bucks and probably then when like it goes on sale yeah. it's 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 literally like 99 cents when it goes on sale you can almost you basically get this game for free and so yeah i kind of i'm with you i would recommend this to i would recommend this to people who want to see you know, very influential stops along the history of gaming, for sure recommended to those people. But like, if you like first person shooters, uh, which I'm, I'm not a giant fan of FPS, but if you, if this is a genre that you really like, yeah, you, you should play this. It's a fun FPS and the gravity gun just takes it kind of a notch above. It's just the gravity gun is so much fun to play with that still to this day holds up really, really well. And like, has only really been matched by the amount of fun I had playing Portal, and we mentioned Titanfall 2 and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, good game. Both of us recommend. Before we get into spoilers, a little housekeeping here for people who are going to tap out now because you don't want spoilers for Half-Life 2. Before I start talking about me, Jay, one more time, um, give uh, Super Bracket Bros another plug here. Yeah, if you want to check out Super Bracket Bros, you can find us anywhere Tales from the Backlog is found, you know, so pretty much any <laughs> any podcast uh, platform whatsoever, you're going to be able to find Super Bracket Bros. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook, uh, so you can find us, tag us on there, comment on a post. If you're coming from this podcast, you know, we definitely would love to hear that, but uh, yeah, we're, we're talking... We're talking gun characters, we're talking the John Wicks, we're talking Mass Effect characters, we're talking Laura Croft, you know, we've got a, a guest appearance coming up soon uh, with the Friendly Neighborhood Gamers who have been on this podcast as well, so if you mm-hmm. enjoyed them, you know, come hear us hang out as well. But um, yeah, no, uh, if this is where you're dropping off, uh, thanks for tuning in, thanks Dave for having me on. Yeah. Uh, once again, people check down in the show notes for Super Bracket Bros stuff. You'll find links to all social media, uh, places to find them, and everything that they've got going over there. But one more time, uh, it's a show that I really do enjoy listening to. Uh, Jay and Eli are good hosts. It's a, it's a good time. And not just because I guessed it on an episode. I had an awesome time on that episode, <laughs> by the way. For Tales from the Backlog, 
The best thing to do, as always, to support is to uh, subscribe if you haven't already. If you have uh, enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating and review if your podcast platform allows it. And Tales from the Backlog has a Discord server where, uh, when this episode comes out, we'll have people talking about Half-Life 2, other video game stuff, other, uh, you know, talking about movies and life and stuff like that too. We got a good group of people in the Discord server and we would love to have you too. So you'll find links to all of those things down in the episode description as well. Also consider checking out a top three podcast, which is my other show, which is uh, kind of a cousin with Super Bracket Bros. You know, I feel like who would win in a fight and top three lists are at the very least cousins, perhaps siblings. So, uh, that show is a good time. Please consider checking that out if you would like to hear uh, more of me. You want to hear me talk about something that's not video games? There you go. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it is spoiler time for Half-Life 2. Jay and I are back and we're ready to talk spoilers for Half-Life 2. And for me personally, like I said, in the kind of non-spoiler section of the show, the story itself is not something that like I was gripped by. So we'll talk about the ending. Of course, the ending is is real good. Uh, but I have uh, just some like real memorable moments uh, throughout the game. We didn't mention Dog in the... Uh, well, you mentioned Dog. Uh, we didn't really talk about Dog a whole lot. Dog right. is very cool. The first time you uh, you learn how to use the gravity gun by tossing a, you know, a giant hunk of metal for Dog is cool. And then every time Dog showed up throughout the game, I was like, fuck yeah. Dog's here. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Uh, yeah, dog's real good. Everybody, I mean, as uh, everybody's like, holy shit, it's Gordon Freeman. They should be like, holy shit, it's Dog. <laughs> yeah <laughs> dog, in half-life dog. three people are people are like yeah gordon freeman like we get it man you're cool but holy <laughs> shit dog's here dog is incredible like the moment where he oh the moment that he takes down wait no oh does that happen in this game i'm trying to think i'm trying to separate the episodes he i think there's a moment where he takes down like an airship in this yes game. okay okay thank you that's that's what i'm thinking of he takes down the airship and yeah no it's just <laughs> it's it's amazing like it's it's like that's where like it gets close to like cinematic and just that that whole section of the game where you're like fighting the striders and you're like toting a rocket launcher around and you've got mm -hmm. guys following you around i think um is like it that's one of the areas i think it i think it goes a bit long for me but like taking down a strider is so badass like yeah that was the hardest part of the game uh for me it, it mm -hmm. took me a long time to like 
fully explore that level and find all the ammo stashes and stuff like that, the mm-hmm. rockets, you know, to take that. Yeah. And I felt like there were just uh, like maybe like one or two too many striders to take down. That was probably the point in the game where I was having the least amount of fun. But again, it, it, it's still, it's not bad. I was playing on easy mode, so it, it's not like I was just being ground into dust and super frustrated. I was just like, oh man, another one? Okay, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, I... But yeah, back to, back to Dog. Um, yeah. That's something that, like, the second you see Dog on the screen, you're like, I love that. I love Dog. Like, the second <laughs> he's on screen, the second you see him move, you're like, I love him. I want, I need that. And it's really interesting, because Dog doesn't, you know, just a, just a big hulking robot, you know, doesn't even really look like a dog just on all fours and i i think valve kind of does a good job of making these almost well dogs not inanimate but like these non-human things just like very lovable specifically my other point of comparison is like um you know the companion cube in portal you form yeah. a sort of attachment to it even though it's literally just a, a big metal cube <laughs> and in uh, in this game, Dog has a lot of personality and the animation's really good. That might be one thing that like uh, may stand out from a lot of games in 2004 is like the, the animation, especially on Dog, is very, still holds up, I think, and makes you like him a lot more. The closest comparison I can think of to Dog is Wally. That's what... Oh. That's what dog makes me think of. Like, obviously, they're both robotic, but the way in mm-hmm. which their various mechanisms, you know, show their emotion, I think is very similar. You know, and I think like dog with his panels around his singular eye that like go mm-hmm. outward and inward and kind of inflect on how he's feeling. And I think also how protective he is of Alex. You know, right. I think is very endearing and, you know, the, the same way where like you you can tell like he's just it's just a big old sweetheart, you know, and like kind of the same thing with Wally. Like he's just a little sweetheart, you know, he's significantly less powerful, <laughs> but like, you know, they <laughs> right. they are, you know, very, very uh, similar in that way. And that's kind of the the one to one I make, you know, I'm not saying that Pixar stole the idea from Wally from Half-Life 2, but, <laughs> you know, I I think there are some similarities there. <laughs> yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. Like, again, the same feeling that all the NPCs had when they're like, holy fuck, Gordon Freeman. That was how <laughs> I felt. I was like, holy fuck, dog's here. Awesome. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> Especially in that kind of lead up to the last level where, like, you've been fighting through these buildings for, like, forever it it feels like you've been just going through these apartment buildings forever and then like suddenly dog's there and he's gonna like rip open this panel and give you a way (laughs) into the base and stuff like that yeah i was like that's my dude yeah no dog dog showing up is great and you just know when he's not around he's just out there kicking ass like he's just out there just like taking out taking out way more combine soldiers than you are (laughs) Just, just absolutely making up mess of those guys yeah, I kind of like at some point in the story I was like I really hope they don't kill dog in oh, here. And God. there's there's a couple points where it was like, you know, I thought dog was outmatched, but he wasn't. He's 
the ultimate badass. If mm-hmm. if Dog is in Super Bracket Bros at some point, like God help whoever he's pitted up against. <laughs> I I you know we have Alex in this particular season. It was right. very tempting to put Alex and Dog as a team. I think if I hadn't played Half Life Alex, I think I would have reserved Alex to eventually be on a team with Dog and to bring them into like a duo bracket. But oh, um, which I think is still going to happen at some point. But yeah, for now, it is just Alex, who is a great character in in into herself, I think. But um, yeah, no dog. I you know, if if we keep doing Super Bracket Bros for as long as I think we will, dog will show up. <laughs> and again, unless it's like a unless it's like a bracket of all the, you know, super robots, like <laughs> just imagining like, um, you know dog versus the hulk or something like that <laughs> like or uh it would have to be someone who can match because uh because dog just destroys uh everything that he needs to yeah dog dog messes things up like dog could take on some serious like marvel and dc heroes and villain you know like <laughs> i like i like i see dog like launching himself off a building at iron man and like i you know i think he could take a chunk or two out of him but um mm-hmm. yeah no love love dog oh yeah uh let's see some other moments that i thought was uh cool we talked to earlier we talked about the um the ant lions just like briefly and mm-hmm. the uh that section felt really weird like where you are we have like the the pheromone ball and you're yeah. controlling your little horde of ant lions that was yeah. interesting as like a shake up but I did feel kind of cool in a weird way, like strolling into all these combat encounters surrounded by my posse <laughs> of ant lions. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am the king of the ant lions. Like the combine cannot fuck with me right now. It's it was very silly, but I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I like that section a lot. Um, I think um like it's the close it's probably one of the easier sections, like because I mean, mm-hmm. you just hit anywhere near the combine, and they're toast. And I, I love the idea. Like I love the areas where you have to go in. You have to turn off the the ground pound machine to be able to get your posse into where they need to get into. You know, because like you know th- these these once you know terrifying creatures are now your companions. And yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a pretty satisfying little section. Um, another section I think maybe stays on just a tad too long if i'm remembering correctly but you know honestly i just like the uniqueness of it and how i i just i love any any game where it's you and two other factions like going at it where it's like a a 1v1v1 kind of situation and the alliance kind of you know bring bring that aspect to it yeah it was interesting how like the ant lions and the combine will fight each other, even if you're not controlling them at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and that's something I, I really like in, uh, I, I like when I can do that. Like you're right. Like that one V one V one, like I can use what I know to pit the other two sides against each other and I can just chill and clean up after they're all done. The thing about the ant lions thing was like in the, the beach section where you're controlling them, they felt really powerful and you can, you know, toss the pheromone ball into those 
um, you know, those turret rooms and they'll just clean everybody out. And then you go into like the building after that and it's full of turrets and stuff and the antlions were just getting like, destroyed left and right. And mm-hmm. when they die, they a new one comes up to replace the one that died, but they were just, you know, they stood no chance against the turrets and all the dudes in the hallways there. But it was still we- <laughs> just weird and kind of fun to like, the antlions die, I kill all the enemies in the room, I go into the next room, these other antlions come out of the floor, they join up, <laughs> they die in 30 seconds, and then we repeat. It was just like, just still feel good, feels good to go through the building with your, your posse of these just weird fucking creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I think it, it's kind of the same. Once you're in the building and then like you got turrets in your way, it, it like does. It's a great way to like give you a new challenge, I would say, to like oh overcome because at, at that point like you're like oh antlions are op and then they throw in these long hallways and turrets and then like these melee units they can't do anything and you know it, it makes you think around that organically and i i really you know uh i really appreciate that but um yeah no i think the just the the fauna of the world i think is has always been cool to me, but I think that's also like a bit of nostalgia because like that's been my like frame of reference for other sci-fis that I've gotten into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I've always loved the design of the ant lions and, and the head crabs and especially I mean, what would you think of the um king shit ant lion? <laughs> oh, uh I found that to be kind of frustrating even on easy mode. Gameplay wise, yeah. like design wise, it's horrific that those things are just out on the beach. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I enjoyed that from like a, you know, enemy design um, perspective. Like mm-hmm. I didn't have fun fighting them. Even on easy <laughs> mode, they still take forever to kill. Uh, yeah. But it's yeah. it's not, you know, anything that like breaks the game. There's like two of them you have to fight in the entire game. It's not like a, it's not a huge deal. No, it's not a not a regular occurrence by any means. And I think when you hit the second one, you're a bit more powered up. And I think it's a little easier to take down, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah, but there's, yeah, yeah, there's no, one in the building that like, yeah, it, you know, it did go down a lot quicker uh, than the others. Because mm-hmm. there's a combine in the room, I think, when that second one comes in and it, they'll fight it, they'll all die, but they'll weaken it a little bit. Yeah, no, the combine don't really, really stand a chance. They can use the head grabs to their advantage. You know, they've got the missiles that they drop and the head crabs jump out of. Um, but yeah, no, the ant lions seem pretty opposed to their existence. <laughs> that was such a fucked up like idea that like <laughs> the combine sends these missiles that are not it's not like explosive missiles. They literally land and they just release head crabs in the area, which is such a fucked up sci-fi horror idea. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's great though. Like, it, like it's, it's, you're right. It's such a cool idea. I'm so glad that they did it, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's terrifying, but it's, it's a biological weapon, you know? Oh like, yeah. They are you know, like sending in an infestation, you know, like that's exactly what the bad guys in the alien series wanted to do <laughs> like they they wanted to like get these alien eggs these xenomorphs and just chuck them into chuck them into societies they didn't like yeah yeah it's real fucked up 
Before we get to the ending, are there any other kind of moments throughout the story that you want to talk about? So you mentioned like that there's a lot of there, there's a few characters, like four to five characters that are actually like named that you talk to and interact with. Mm-hmm. I was kind of curious what you thought, like, were there any standouts among them? You know, I, I particularly I'm kind of curious, you know, if you uh, if you liked Alex as a character, because I enjoy her a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because Alex spends a lot of time off screen, like radioing to you or like you're trying to find Alex. So when you do find her, I I mean, I enjoy her personality. I think the voice acting is good. Yeah. I I think it's funny how like she'll be in a totally different portion of the building that you're in and she'll be like all right gordon i'll be right there and then she just falls out of a vent like right next to you <laughs> like a couple seconds later i always yeah. thought that was kind of fun um i don't i don't really have a lot of thoughts about alex i thought she was cool and cool how she's you know capable and this is something about the game in general but like can you imagine how annoying it would have been if you would have had to like protect alex and you got a game over if she died or something like that I'm glad yeah. they didn't do that. Yeah. But as a character, I don't have a whole lot to say about her from this game. I I read that the episodes are either... Do you play as Alex in the episodes, or is she just like a bigger character in them? She's a much bigger character. You spend a lot more time with her, um, and I okay. think that probably adds a lot to her. Um, she gets right. much more directly involved in the story. Um Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, half-life alex of course you play as alex um right. it's a prequel to half-life uh or half-life 2 sorry um and so yeah no, obviously the, like that that gives you another another perspective on her but yeah no i was uh i was just curious yeah the uh the other characters like eli very personable very likable but not a whole lot there he's basically he shows up and he's like, you know, oh, Gordon, Alex, how's it going? And then he disappears and you're trying to find him. And then you find him and he's like, I'm okay. Everything's okay. And then something else happens to take you away from him. He was mm-hmm. fine. I actually like the, uh, you know, the bad guy, the the puppet head, mm-hmm. um, the figurehead guy. I kind of liked him. He, until the very end of the game, he didn't seem like a, you know, mustache twirling villain. He seemed like, you know, at least in some part, like a very believable, like this is the only chance we have right now. Like, and then at the end, it does kind of go into like, okay, we have to stop this guy. But for the most part, throughout the first three quarters of the game or so, I felt like, okay, this guy is set up to be the villain. He's probably not a good person, but there's a little sliver of like, you know, it's easy to understand why he may have this perspective, you know, because without humanity's surrender in half-life one i guess or the you know time between the time before half-life two humanity very obviously could not fight off these aliens so Mm -hmm. i did enjoy that kind of characterization of him in the first you know 75 percent. then at the end it's like okay this guy we got to stop this guy yeah no I, i i i'm right with you there and uh yeah no i think it's it it is interesting. I think they get into well. Okay, let's just talk about the end of the 
and end of the game here. I, sure. I I think everything else I want to talk about relates to sort of how this game ends. So I'm kind of I'm curious on what your thoughts are. So remind me, something bad is happening in that kind of factory that you go into. Something, one of those, you know, a fate worse than death is happening in there, right? They're going to use people uh, for some kind of, you know, nefarious purpose. I don't remember exactly what's going on in that factory. I couldn't tell you either. I think it's just, it's bad. Um, You, if you might remember in the Citadel, so in the final part of the game, you do... Mm you do see these like skeletal figures um, sort of they're inaccessible usually, um, or you can't interact with them. Um, But those are what people are getting turned into. um, In addition to, you know, the, the more heavy duty combine soldiers. Um, Those are, I don't believe are human anymore. You know, they are some sort of mutated brainwashed soldier. Um, and so I think that's the fate that's worse than death. And then obviously you're going into the Citadel at the end of the game because they've captured Eli or, you know, they, they still have captured Eli. You know, you did not get him back, but, um, they, they take him to the Citadel and they're going to, you know, slurp his brains out so that they can you know, find out information about the resistance. That's why he's so important. Aeon being mm-hmm. like Alex's dad, but, you know, he's like a crucial piece to the resistance. Like, he right. knows everything about them, so. Yeah, so, and like that Citadel level has some of my favorite parts of the game in it. I like the, when you hop into like those little transporter pods and you get like a tour of the facility, I really mm-hmm. liked that. It shows you like the sense of scale, like this facility is so fucking big. And then you yeah. get to see all these like lines of production for like the striders and countless numbers of these pods for people that are it reminded me of the matrix, how like when you saw the pods uh, of all the people in there. Yeah. Um that was that was really cool. And then uh the the where you get your supercharged gravity gun was my favorite section of the game. Man, the blue gravity gun, the supercharged gravity gun. Like just the like that like I distinctly remember they take away all your guns and I'm like what's happening like this is like this is the, this is the end of the game I was like this is mm-hmm. this is it and then they give you back the gravity <laughs> and it's capable yeah. of chucking your enemies like it, like the the satisfying moment where you realize when you point at an enemy and it doesn't go like no you. You pull him towards you, and then you can chuck him at another guy. Holy mm-hmm. smoke. What a satisfying, amazing moment that is. Yeah. You you feel so badass in that. It's like the same levels of badass that I ever felt like playing Doom and stuff like that. Because you, you have a bunch of these um, combat sections where uh, they surely designed this on purpose, where you have like, like you're going up an elevator, and there's like this you know, long, long drop over the sides of the elevator and there's all these enemies and you're just grabbing dudes and throwing them off the edge down this like bottomless pit. And yeah, it's just so much fun to like see a group of dudes run at you. You grab one of them, you throw that dude back and take out the other two. It, yeah, it's 
so much fun. Like I wanted to talk about that in the non-spoiler part for like how fun this game can be, but I didn't <laughs> want to spoil that because that is that is a moment when I came across it. Like I hadn't been spoiled on that. And I was like, holy shit, this is the best. This is video games right here. Yeah, I think just the like it's already the coolest gun. Like it, it, it is already like top tier, top five video game weapons or fictional weapons of all time. And then like getting to go all out with it is just immensely satisfying. And just like you feel like you have wave after wave after wave of enemy coming after you in the Citadel and being able to take them all down just with the gravity gun, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. this. The weapon that you might have, you know, used to chop up some zombies or used to scrape by has now become the most powerful thing on that entire planet <laughs> is, yep. is is immensely satisfying. Yeah, no, it's one of the funnest parts. And and that's what I was talking about earlier, like in the non-spoiler section. Like every like every climax is perfectly you know, like the gameplay and story is twisted into each other. And like the blue gravity mm-hmm. gun is like the the perfect example of that. You know, just the cherry on top. Yeah. And there was that moment. I think it's right before you get the the blue gravity gun where the bad guy, Breen, that's his name. Um, mm-hmm. He takes it from you and he's like, just kind of looks at it and he's like, what the fuck is this? All right, take this away. He gives it to one of his guards. Uh, but yeah. you do have like this moment where you're like, oh shit, like the gr- the gravity gun is, you know, it's the gravity gun. You can really mess stuff up with this, but he doesn't know what it is. And he's just like, all right, take it away. You know, I don't need this. And then you get it back. So it's like a real short little roller coaster between you being like, oh no, they took the gravity gun. And then I am the most powerful being on this planet now because I have this thing. <laughs> yeah no the the ending of the game the the gameplay on that like it's and like i i'll i'll say it, it's not impossible to die there like the they they throw an appropriate amount of enemies at you i think like you know mm-hmm. and there's there's enemies and also the energy balls that you can grab and yep. you can chuck around it can come back and hit you <laughs> like they yeah, they can, and they, they hurt can when they do Yes, they do. You know, like, and they they disintegrate the combine, and so when they come back and hit you, like, it it is not pleasant. And so, yeah, no, like, I think, um, yeah, it's just a it is a, a great way to uh, to end the game, uh, like game gameplay perspective wise. Mm-hmm. That final boss fight was like interesting. It took me a few tries to figure out what I was supposed to do uh, to like sure. shoot the energy balls past the shield as the shield was rotating uh, on like the teleporter or whatever that took me a few tries but it was yeah overall still pretty fun yeah real good and then like the ending when like you save the day and like by this point i had forgotten how the game begins because the game begins Mm -hmm. with gordon being woken up by the elusive man not the elusive man that's mass effect uh the g-man Yep. I had in my notes here that the the G-Man had to have been an inspiration for the Elusive Man. There is no way that they're not connected. I don't know. Have you played Mass Effect 2? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I've played okay. Mass yeah. Effect 2. I'm a big fan. So yeah, no, the like those two are definitely connected. And like I know the idea of like the man in black, like the 
the puppeteer behind everything, you know, has always or not always existed. Like it has an origin somewhere. But G Man's the only the first one that I always think of. Like that's always the the number one in my mind is the G Man. Um, and mm-hmm. so yeah. So yeah, like right when you think you're gonna have this, you know, celebration because you just stopped this plot, you basically get taken away from it right away. The G-Man pulls you out and he's like, okay, good job, Gordon. Um, my, uh, I will be in contact with you. There are other people who request your services, basically. And like when that happened, I had forgotten that that's how the game began when the G-Man wakes you up and puts you on the train because somebody has paid for Gordon Freeman's services. Um, and that was really cool. And I Again, I didn't play Half-Life 1, and everything I know about it is just from, you know, skimming the Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is a cool idea. And so without spoiling future games, uh, do the episodes or Half-Life Alex get... Is the G-Man part of that? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's It's a really cool thing. And like, so this is why I said like in the non-spoiler part, I can see why people would be clamoring for Half-Life 3 because like, I was like, I want to know what this guy's deal is. Like, I want to know what's going on. So I guess I need to play episode one and two uh, if there's a little bit more exposition on that. Yeah, there's a little bit more exposition on it. I think um, I, I would say, honestly, it's probably even more exposition that you get in the entirety of half-life 2 um you know in those two episodes the two episodes i would say probably each are probably about three to five hours long each um okay i think um yeah the the second one might be a a hair longer um but um yeah no i would i would highly if you enjoyed half-life 2 it's gonna be you know uh, some some new enemy types um you know it's mostly the same same weapons or might be exactly the same weapons but it's still, I would say, it's it's worthwhile, you know, to to go through and yeah, no, the they're they're fun games and they kind of expand upon the the lore a little bit, but yeah, no, I've I've kind of been holding off on. You know, obviously, we didn't talk about story in the pre you know spoiler section, but yeah, no, the G Man is uh, is really interesting and confounds and perplexes the <laughs> the Half Life community <laughs> yeah. to to no end, but. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, so the uh, G-Man obviously has his spiel at the beginning, has his spiel at the end. Did you notice him at all as you were playing? Uh, no, I I completely forgot about, because I, I played the opening of this, like I played the first couple hours and then I moved apartments and like during that time, uh, and I think I was doing a lot of podcast work and I just didn't play Half-Life for a while. So when mm-hmm. I picked it back up, I had forgotten about the G-Man at the beginning. So then when it yeah. happened at the end, I was like, wait, what the f- Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. So I had forgotten. Is So is he, throughout the game, is there stuff that I missed? So there's no, like, um, at least to my knowledge, there's no parts where he interacts in the game, but you can see him quite a bit. Like, he is watching. Ooh. Yeah. So if... It, it, you mean you can if you don't want to replay the game but you like there's dozens of 
<laughs> of, of like articles, YouTube super yeah, cuts and stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that I so would you mean like he's like uh, you mean like you're going through and he if you know where to look you can like see him looking in a window or something 100%. like that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. No, that's um, it's definitely like one of the I, I think one of the things that like wasn't like the biggest hook, but it was a it was a it was definitely it was definitely there. You know, like the before i was on the internet reading wikis and on youtube and stuff i was like i need to see him i i, I need to find every single instance of of the g-man um and some of them require some pretty precise timing to catch um but yeah no i would definitely recommend um checking it out because he, he shows up quite a bit um and kind of adds to the the mystique of the uh you know of the character yeah just looking at some like seeing if I can find some screenshots of him, you know, lurking somewhere. That's uh that's pretty cool. And yeah, it definitely like so when you were playing, did you see this like yourself? Cuz that would have been like a really cool like holy shit, this guy's following me. Like he's keeping tabs. Yeah, there's one pretty obvious one, I would say in like the third chapter when you first get in the um airboat um <laughs> the fan boat yeah the fan boat Love yes it. yeah <laughs> um the, the he is on sort of like a distant um you know uh, up here and that was the first one i remember noticing and so thus then like triggered the rest of them like i continued mm-hmm. to like keep an eye out for him and there's 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 some there's one particular one where you are i believe you're in the buggy you're driving around and uh you're going from like resistance hub to resistance hub and there's one where you can interact with a pair of binoculars um and see across the way and you see a g-man interacting with a resistance member they they are chatting and um then he just you know walks out of the out of your view and and disappears um and yeah so there's there there's a lot of like little little bits of uh g-man lore out there that are are really interesting yeah i think uh people who listen to the show or even just know me personally know that i'm not the most observant person so uh (laughs) not surprising that i didn't see it um but that is very cool uh, and cool for you that you saw that like naturally because that you're right. Like if I did see that, it would have definitely made me a bit more like paranoid, I guess, you know, that feeling that you're being watched, even it's a mm-hmm. video game, nothing matters, but like you would get that feeling that like, uh, man, this, uh, this, you know, this dude is following, watching, judging, like, and if you put all the pieces together, like, is this guy going to intervene at some point, you know? Right. So that yeah. would have been cool. Yeah, I think um, the, I think that's where, like, you have the the front lore, right? You have the Combine, you have the Zen aliens, you have humanity, you have the Resistance. But then there's this G-Man. And he talked about his the, the people who have hired him. And he talks about, you know, you when you're working for him and mm-hmm. like all. But you don't understand how you like I'm like, 
well, Gordon Freeman, like, is it in his off time? Is he living in a mansion somewhere? You know, like, who who is doling out this cash for Gordon Freeman? You know, and it's it, it's really it's really interesting. And so, like, that's the stuff that like I get into that like people are really like they're they're hankering for it, man. They're they're out yeah. there. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's the reason why like. I, I should play the episodes, I guess, but that's the reason why, like, now if Half-Life 3 is released and I have a, you know, a way to play it, that will be a game that I will, like, super look forward to. Number one, because uh, Valve is just, when they decide to make a game, they they crush it. They are incredible game developers. And it's kind of a shame that they have just decided, like, oh, we're we're really just not going to make games as like a full-time thing. And we'll just give you a little treat every now and then, you know, like mm-hmm. half-life Alex or something like that. But if half-life three were to be released, like even just speaking outside of the memes and stuff like that, I would be interested in learning more about the G man, which would obviously be a part of it. And then I know with advanced technology, updated game engines and physics systems and stuff like that i have no doubt that half-life 3 would be a ton of fun to play and like just a very well constructed game i find it really hard to believe that like they would miss on it they may be feeling like impossible expectations but like yeah i i would feel very confident in them as developers Uh, because i've only heard great things about half-life alex and i'll never play it because it sounds too scary for me, but, and also I don't have a VR <laughs> headset or anything, but like, I don't like scary stuff and I've heard that game's terrifying. So I probably won't play it, but like Half-Life 3, I, th- I would feel very confident because I think Valve would just crush it and continue this G-Man, Gordon Freeman in and out of stasis uh, type storyline they have going on here. Yeah. So first up, I would highly recommend you play the episodes when you get some time. You don't have to do mm-hmm. a whole episode on Tales from the Backlog about it, but you know, I think I would <laughs> definitely recommend a, uh, Could do an episode one and two kind of combo uh, episode of the show if I'm going to spend some time and have things to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you got if you got stuff to say, I, I definitely would love to you know capitalize on on that for sure because those are also games that I I enjoy a lot. But um, yeah, no, I think that uh, as far as Valve goes, like they have stated and they've talked about in the production of half-life alex i listened to interviews from the producers and the developers Mm -hmm. and they've talked about like they did alex because they could do something special in the vr space you know they if they're gonna make a half-life game they they could have made i i'm convinced they know exactly how half-life 3 is gonna go the story is written somewhere I just think they, they need the game to go with it. You know, I think that they could they could make an iteration off of Half-Life 2. They could update the textures. They could make a new engine. Like, they could do all of those things. And it would be an amazing shooter. And people would love it. It'd get 9 out of 10s across the board. But they want something that's revolutionary. You know, they want to be the game that people are going to talk about 18 years later, like we're talking about Half-Life 2 today. 
You know, mm-hmm. like that's their goal. That's the standard they're setting. And, you know, maybe, you know, they, they are never going to be on the precipice of the next great technology. And, you know, they're never going to quite, you know, like get there and, you know, Valve will be owned by somebody else in 50 years. And then somebody will make a game about, you know, Half-Life 3, whatever it might be. But, um, you know, like I, I think that's a legitimate possibility is that it just never happens because they're never, you know, right there. But my my current theory that I am I am holding to is I do hope that we get a Half-Life 3. I could see it coming out in the next 10 years and it being a VR compatible and computer cat compatible game. Like, I think that might be the next step, making it accessible because I think Half-Life Alex was it's an amazing game. I, I I loved getting to play it and I'm happy that I got to play it, but it's still not a full game. You know, it's the closest I think VR has gotten so far to like a full game, but it's not a full game like I would say Half-Life 2 is. And so I think that that's that's my current theory craft is that they are going to go the extra step and figure out how to make a game that is compatible for mouse and keyboard and a VR headset, which is ridiculous, by the way. Like, modders cannot get Half-Life Alex currently to work with mouse and keyboard. You have a good point. Like, thinking of the, the Valve games that I've played and then the things that have been in the zeitgeist a little bit, they, they are definitely a studio that seems like they prefer, they would prefer to make one really amazing really unique game every 10 years instead of just pumping out a new game every two years or whatever like they Mm -hmm. they could they have enough money to fund all kinds of game uh, (laughs) ideas and develop like valve has all the money in the world but they they certainly seem like they really prioritize having you know a super unique um thing come out every now and then uh which is yeah, you're you're probably right on with your assumption about Half-Life 3. If it were ever to happen, they're trying to figure out how they would make it stand out and not just be, you know, a modern first-person shooter with Half-Life, you know, branding basically. They got to make it stand out somehow. And like I think you said too, like I have if anyone's going to do it, Valve is the company to figure it out. They're always figuring this stuff out. Yeah, no, I... At this point, it's been so long. I'm, like... I I, I don't know... I'm not... Ex, I have no expectation. And I think that's where a lot of people are. And so I think a lot of people would just like it to exist. Um, For me personally... I have waited this long. I will continue to wait as long as they ask me to. Um, I also my second backup theory is that I'm hoping that it drops with no publicity whatsoever. <laughs> is that one day yeah. I'm just going to open Steam and Half Life Three is going to be there? I you're going to you're going to wake up. And you're going to have a million text messages from everybody who knows you. And they're going to be like, dude, check Steam right now. And you're going to be like, I'll get to it. And they'll be like, no, now 
texting now. <laughs> Do you know how many people would download that? I mean, like the insane media, like they, they don't have to do any advertising. Like they don't like a, a trailer will not get people more hyped than just no. dropping it. Day one. It's been out of nowhere. Peop- it's been self advertising for the last like 15 years. That's that. Th- maybe that's the that's the gimmick. It's actually just gonna be Half Life Three in Half Life 2's engine. <laughs> Except, <laughs> it's just gonna be the greatest advertising gimmick of all time. That that's what they're going for. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Good. All right, man. Um, what do you say we wrap this up? This is uh, been a good. Oh, we're about two hours now of recording. Two hours plus. Good. Uh, good discussion. This has been a good time. Yeah, no, I've had a great time. I think um, um, I always enjoy evangelizing Half-Life 2 to anybody that will <laughs> listen. And so, you know, coming on, getting to talk about it, it's been a great time. So, yeah, no, thank you so much for, for having me on. And uh, I'm glad. I think I might have intrigued you a little bit more about the uh, the Half-Life 2 story. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do that in this spoiler section. Well, like... And this would be the last thing I say. You, I think I told you this, but you would not believe how hard it was to find a guest for as revered as this game is. I posed this game to at least five to 10 people. And you're the only one who was like, yes, Half-Life 2, I want to talk about that. Like, yeah. so I was like, I kind of bewildered by like, you know, you this is such a highly regarded game. You would have figured like, this would be, one of the first ones people pick out of my list, uh, but that was not the case. So I really appreciate you. Um, and it, it turns out you're the perfect guest for this episode anyway, uh, being that you you have such a different history with the game and you also know a lot more about the story and stuff than I do. So again, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been a great conversation and I can't wait to have you back on to talk about another game if you'll uh, if you're up for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd love to come back on sometime and uh and chat it up. This has been a great time. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Dave. Yeah, good times. Uh again, everybody listening, thank you for listening this far. And again, if you want to support the show, best things to do, again, subscribe, uh, leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the episode. Join the Discord, come and chat with us. And last but not least, check out Super Bracket Bros. Great podcast, good times. Jay, thanks so much. Everybody else, see you next time for the next game that comes out of the backlog. Bye.